Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. I know a bunch of you listen to Unchained at the gym. January is here, and I suspect some of you will be hitting the gym more than usual. So why not get really meta and listen to Unchained while also wearing an Unchained t-shirt? You can buy shirts and other Unchained items at shop.unchainedpodcast.com. Again, that's shop.unchainedpodcast.com. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on a platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Crypto.Law, a.k.a. Kelman Law, is a New York law firm run by some of the first lawyers to enter crypto in 2013 with expertise in litigation, dispute resolution, and anti-money laundering. Email them at info at kelman.law. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Kyle Samani, managing partner at Multicoin Capital. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Laura. Good morning. Great to be back on. Last month, you published a blog post called The Web3 Stack 2019 Edition. This was basically an update on a 2018 post on the same topic. How would you say the Web3 Stack has changed from 2018 to 2019? Yeah, so I think the most important thing that's changed since then has been just the maturation of the stack. Uh, And then the actual real key element that I highlight in the post is how the stack is becoming a lot more heterogeneous. Uh, So let me touch on on both of those. Um, In terms of maturation, when I published the first version in July of 2018, you know, EOS had just launched, like Tezos was kind of sort of in the process of launching. There still wasn't, DeFi, I don't even think was actually a term yet at the time. Uh, and a lot of the kind of off-chain services were, were basically not working. So I, I kind of had proposed at that time, you know, what I thought the stack was was going to look like, but it was actually still relatively speculative. Fast forward 18 months, um, and we've seen just a tremendous amount of activity happen. There's now, you know, six, $700 million of capital locked in these DeFi or open finance protocols. Um, so there's a very robust ecosystem there. There's now tons of off-chain services running um, at meaningful scale, things like the graph, things like LivePeer and others, uh, and Arweave. Uh, and so just the stack has just come much, much, much further. Um, and you can now start to see kind of the early pieces working. Uh, the other major trend that's that's evolved, in, and I really emphasize this in the, in the post, is how the stack is becoming a lot more heterogeneous. And by that, I mean it's, not, it's no longer just that things are being built only on Ethereum. There's now active communities around EOS, around Tezos, around Polkadot, around Solana, around Nier, uh, around Cosmos, and each of these ecosystems is starting to see a development activity. Um, and so the stack as a whole is actually kind of becoming just like there's more different pieces working together in kind of different places. Um, and that's really a, a really exciting trend and opportunity. 
You know, that's interesting that you bring that point up because I've also heard people argue it the other way that a lot of developers want to build on Ethereum to take advantage of the synergies of building on a platform where their project could interact with a lot of these other popular projects such as MakerDAO or Compound. So, you know, if you were to kind of break out, maybe, I don't know if percentages is like too strong a word for it, but just, you know, where do you see the momentum going? Do you still see it really staying with Ethereum or do you see it as like a lot of people just saying, no, you know, we don't have to be there. Yeah. So I think it depends on the type of application. So um, today, if you're building a, an open finance application, um, it's almost certain that Ethereum is probably the best place to build as of the current moment. Uh, however, uh, there's a lot of people building applications that that's not their primary objective. So if you consider, for example, what Terra is doing, what Audius is doing, uh, what Brave is trying to do, there's lots of different teams um, out there today who their their primary um, gating factor is they need scale. They need to be able to support millions of users. And the simple truth is that you just can't do that on Ethereum today. And there's actually a ton of open questions on if and how you'll be able to do that on Ethereum in call it two years' time. Um, and, and so there's a lot of very rational people who are saying, look, um, I cannot launch on a system that doesn't support 5 million users. And so those people are going elsewhere. And now that the other um, chains are, are launching and, and kind of maturing their respective development toolings, um, we're starting to see those kinds of applications um, start to start to roll out. And in that kind of scenario where someone's saying we need a chain that will support 5 million users, is it one of those situations where kind of like ability to interact with other projects just matters less or, you know, what are, cause I mean, I believe that there probably is some sort of trade-off. And so like, what are the scenarios where the trade-off is worth it? Yeah, there, there certainly is some, some intrinsic trade-off um, in terms of, of lack of call it composability, right. With, with kind of the stuff in Ethereum today. In fact, the entire point of Cosmos is basically to address this problem. Kind of the thesis for Cosmos is: Look, there's going to be lots of chains out there. Different chains are going to specialize in different use cases and different features and whatever. And then, kind of Cosmos, basically, their claim is like we're going to be the glue that brings it all together. Um, it's unclear if that will work. There's still lots of, of risk, you know, and, and it's not clear that will happen. But that's certainly one way the world could play out. And if it does, then Cosmos is you know likely to be a, a pretty good beneficiary of that. But yeah, there are very real trade offs. So, for example, if you look at uh, let's say Terra. Terra, I think, has something like half a million users right now, um, and it's growing. That's up from zero basically six months ago. Like for them, their users for now are very focused on reducing transaction costs in e-commerce in Korea and Southeast Asia, and they actually have some pretty good arguments on on how and why they can do that. Um, and for now, they don't really need DeFi stuff. What I I could expect to happen, let's say we fast forward to twelve or eighteen months is people might say, let's say they have one and a half, two and a half, three million users, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, what I think you'll start to see is you'll start to see people who are building DeFi protocols say, hey, look, I know, I know there's three million users over there. Um, I'm going to go to them, right? And so we're going to kind of see this this push and pull between people saying, look, I'm going to build on Ethereum because of the uh, the kind of developer tooling and compos- composability of the existing ecosystem. And other people are going to say, yes, but I see 3 million people over here doing this very specific thing, and I want to tap into that market. Um, and that's just going to be kind of like the natural push and pull. And let's also talk about the fact that Ethereum is trying to make this transition to Ethereum 2.0. How is that playing into the calculus that developers make when they're choosing where to base their project? 
Yeah, I mean, I can say pretty definitively that like we don't really know how Ethereum 2.0 is going to work. There, there's like some high level ideas of, of how it's actually going to work, but there's quite a few um, like pretty structural and fundamental open questions. So actually, right around DevCon, so this was about six weeks ago or seven weeks ago, like they they changed the structure of, of the system pretty substantially. They changed the shard accounts and how their shards are going to be cross-linked. There's all kinds of implications for like nodes running and how things are going to talk across shards. My, my point is, is that like that that happened seven weeks ago. The spec for ETH two phase zero was theoretically frozen in June, uh, and so like obviously the spec wasn't actually frozen in June. They just thought they were freezing it in June, right? And so. There's a lot of pieces still moving and evolving. Um, we can also see that the Ethereum team is looking at what other teams are doing and, and adapting and, and some of their ideas. And so, I, like, the one thing I can say definitively is, like, we just don't actually know what ETH 2.0 is going to look like. Um, and there's very pretty reasonable probability that the final product is, is, is not even something that is currently in scope or currently planned. And so, given that reality... Developers today have a really hard choice of saying, okay, well, do I like, put my eggs in this basket, not really knowing where this ship is going? Or do I try and go elsewhere, somewhere where I feel more conviction and more certainty in kind of the medium to long term, you know, platform? Uh, and again, the, like those are not, that's not an easy question to, to answer. And every developer is going to kind of view that in, in different ways. And amongst uh, the various chains that could benefit from the uncertainty on Ethereum or the lack of scalability uh, there, who do you see right now as gaining the most momentum? Yeah, so I'd say the the chains that I'm probably most immediately excited about at the moment are uh, Near, Solana, and Cadena. So Cadena actually basically, like, I think they launched a few days ago. They enable token transfers and they're enabling smart contracts in like a couple of weeks. So very, very kind of imminently. They, they really have had some breakthroughs in, in programming languages and they actually have a, a handful of early, pretty large customers um, using using the system or they'll be like using the system over the next few weeks. Uh, they've, they've announced those um, releases on their website and stuff. Um, Nier and Solana, I'm really excited about as really, I think, kind of the two preeminent teams building next generation proof of stake chains. Um, and Nier and Solana are kind of taking, I'd say, almost opposite approaches to the problem. Solana is, is really focused on how do we scale these systems without sharding. And then really Nier is probably today the strongest team in the world in the kind of building sharded blockchains. Solana is kind of going live right now in kind of a very quiet stealth mode. Uh, and they're going to kind of open up, you know, over the course of Q1. Uh, and Nier is also launching in Q1. Both teams, you know, Nier, both have beta programs, both have dozens of developers who are building in their beta programs now. Uh, and those teams will start to announce, you know, the, the people building in those respective ecosystems over the next few months. Uh, but I, I feel pretty strongly that when, as those chains launch, they will be the strongest in terms of, you know, coming out of the gate, you know, showing that, that A, these things work and B, that there's actual real world utility and, and people can build third party applications on them that operate at some meaningful level of scale. Um, if you look at Ethereum back in 2015, if you look at EOS, if you look at Cosmos, if you look at Tezos, if you look at Algorand, if you look at Hashgraph, those have been all kind of the major chains that have launched over the last four years. All of them basically they launched and then they just kind of like they didn't, they didn't do much. Um, and I think what we'll see with these next generation chains like Cadena, Solana, and Nier is that they're going to launch and actually very quickly you're going to start to see people do things because they've been able to have strong lead times with beta programs and developer SDKs. Um, and, this, and have been kind of doing the business development work and, and, you know, showcasing to developers what their technologies can do. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about how this competition in the smart contract space will play out. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com. Have you seen the MCO Visa card? 
A metal card loaded with perks, up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix, too. What's not to love? Crypto.com has recently launched its exchange and crypto fundraising platform, The Syndicate. There's a 50% off stellar listing event starting from January 15th, 2020. Sign up on the exchange now and stay tuned for more listings. Crypto.law is run by crypto OGs based in New York who are operating in the crypto space back in 2013 and accept crypto as payment. One of the partners, Zachary Kelman, is known for drafting a bill submitted to Congress in 2014 aimed at exempting on-chain Bitcoin transactions from U.S. regulations. The other founding partner, his brother Daniel Kelman, became well-known in the crypto law space for his work in the Mt. Gox civil rehabilitation. If you operate a fintech business, have a dispute with some person or business involving crypto or need crypto-related legal advice, email info at kelman.law, that's K-E-L-M. Law, or go to the website at www.crypto.law. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With Copy Trader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Back to my conversation with Kyle Samani of Multicoin Capital. Yeah, one thing that I noticed when I was looking at the graphs that you made for your blog post is that the smart contract platform space has so much competition. Like you had the one chart where you kind of just gave the overview. And then in the second chart, you attached different project names to each of the different um you know, kind of uh, areas of uh, development that you noted in the first uh, graph. And that was the one that easily ha- had just had the most kind of competing projects there. So why do you think that is? And how do you think that's going to play out? Like, do you think we're going to see multiple smart contract platforms that prevail? And if so, how will they be differentiated? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we can say with near 100% certainty that there's going to be a lot of chains over the next few years. Um, most of these teams have raised, been able to raise quite a bit of capital and like they're, they're going to launch stuff. Uh, it's unclear, you know, how used each of those chains will be, but certainly they're going to launch. That, and that's not really a question. And kind of the part of the reason that I, I made, made this post to begin with was recognizing that this ecosystem as a whole is, is already becoming more heterogeneous. And I think that is actually going to accelerate uh, meaningfully over the next 24 to 36 months. Uh, you know, what happens 36 months from now is much less clear, but uh, surely we're just going to see uh, a real, um, a comp- I mean, this is real competition. That's that's kind of the second part of your question. I think the, the first part of your question on, on, well, why are there so many people going after this layer of the stack? That I think is that you know, most kind of strong systems engineers who look at the space, they realize just how how paramount it is to really nail the layer one um, ecosystem and a lot of super, super, super smart people all over the world, um, realize that. And they're all saying, well, look, this is a huge opportunity. Look at the market cap of Bitcoin. Look at the market cap of Ethereum. Um, and pretty quickly you realize that, that, you know, these things are competing to be money. Uh, I actually wrote about this in an essay maybe six or eight months ago. Uh, it's on the multi-coin blog. It's called, uh, on value capture at layer one and layer two. And I basically made the argument that all layer ones are competing to be money. And, uh, uh, I, I think all of these developers kind of realize that. Um, some of them talk about their systems more in terms of, of technology, but but at the end of the day, these things are kind of aiming to be money. 
And so when the market size is really big, um, when you think it's going to be a, a really crucial piece of technology, it's actually very rational for lots of teams to, to swing for the fences. And, and it's actually rational for investors to, to invest and try and you know land in the one that, that is you know, going to be the big winner. And I'm also curious, you've brought up Cosmos a couple times. Um, Cosmos and Polkadot are trying to bring interoperability and connect, you know, different chains to each other. Between those, do you feel like, uh, you know, one of them is kind of prevailing in that space? Yeah. So what, what Polkadot is, Polkadot is, you know, supposed to launch in February or so. At least that's kind of the last I heard. Pretty definitively, what is launching in February is not what was actually outlined originally. Um, what was outlined originally was that that you'd have you know this relay chain that you'd have these parachains that connect into it that they would they would share one common security pool and there would be a kind of a magical way for all these things to communicate with one another. Only about half of what I just described is actually launching in, in February. Uh, really, the most important part, which is the making all of these things be able to communicate, that is not launching in February. Uh, it's not clear you know if and when that will launch. Um, and so for now, what what Polkadot is launching doesn't really enable. Um, directly what, what they kind of promised. Uh, to be fair, the same is true of Cosmos. Cosmos just kind of has like a 12 month head start. What Cosmos launched, they launched, I think, in March of 2019. Uh, and V1, if they launched, didn't enable all of the cross chain magical stuff either. Uh, the, the Cosmos is really enabling all of that stuff to turn on in probably March or April of, of 2020. And so I think Cosmos, you know, approximately has a 12 month lead on, on Polkadot in this front. Um, I suspect that the Cosmos approach is, is likely to garner more developer interest because of that just material lead time. And there are real network effects around these things. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting over the course of 2020 Cosmos to, to take quite a bit uh, of mind share from Polkadot on this front, but I could be very wrong. Yeah. One other, frankly, advantage that I see is simply some of these feelings of bad blood, I think, between Ethereum and Parity that came out on social media, uh, especially when we saw that Parity announced that the you know maintenance for the uh, Parity Ethereum client was going to be managed by a DAO and they were not going to try to achieve the different milestones to get the remainder of the Ethereum Foundation grant. Um, but anyway, it's just... I only want to discuss all that. Um, but what I do want to talk about is, you know, I feel like through this whole period in the development of crypto, there's really only still two coins that have really truly proven themselves and probably will likely not go anywhere for the foreseeable future. And those are obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum. Do you think that we're likely to see any new coins enter that stratum and, you know, where, where they've probably achieved something substantial and are unlikely to be dethroned anytime soon? And if so, which coins do you think we would see there? Yeah, so I, I think that, that so as anybody answering this question, like part of the reason, right, there are so many people building layer ones is because those developers kind of realize that's the biggest opportunity. But I think there's lots of of just much smaller markets that are not aiming to be non sovereign money that we're actually seeing quite a bit of meaningful progress on. Um, so, for example, Arweave has been live for I think it launched in June of 2018, so it's been live for about 18 months now. Um, we actually announced our investment along with Union Square Ventures and Andreessen Horowitz uh, about a month, a month and a half ago. And like that chain is, is growing substantially. There's very strong network effects there. They're really the, the only people that are doing what they're doing. And at this point, while it's, yeah, the market cap is not even close to Bitcoin or ETH, I don't think it's actually realistic to expect the market cap to be close to, to ETH. 
and, and so like there's people, there's, there's chains like Arweave that are still very much below the radar, but that they haven't found meaningful product market fit. Uh, and they're, they're growing exponentially. I mean, 30% month over month, um, just very consistently. And so I, I think the, one of the, the storylines of 2020 is going to be lots of kind of success stories like Arweave. Um, another one of those that I kind of expect to emerge over the course of 2020 is LivePeer. Um, LivePeer has been around for about two years. It's been very below the radar. Um, people generally like the team, but, but kind of they haven't, they've intentionally not marketed themselves. They're, you know, about to, I, V2 is rolling out like right now. I think they're deploying the contracts like tomorrow or something. And, uh, like I have very good reason to believe that there's going to be a lot of people transcoding video on the court, on the Arweave protocol over the next 12 months. Um, is again, is that going to rival Ethereum? Like that's not a question because like the answer is no, because it just does something much more limited, but that doesn't mean that there can't be like really strong success stories there. I think over the course of 2020, generally, you're going to kind of see a lot of mainstream coverage of like the platform wars or whatever. Um, but like that's actually going to be a very slow, drawn out thing. Uh, I think what you'll see that will be actually a lot more interesting, uh, and at least in the short term, is uh, like these success stories, things like Arweave, things like Helium, things like LivePeer that go live, that do very specific things, uh, that solve very specific problems. And you'll just see like consistent growth in those in those protocols. So we've been discussing Ethereum a lot this episode, but I'm also curious to know you, what your view is on where Bitcoin is headed. I mean, Bitcoin just doesn't really do anything. Like the whole point is that it just sits there and like it doesn't really change. Um, you, you know, like, yeah, I mean, like, hey, look, it, it's simple. Like, I guess it works. Um, you know, Lightning, if you if you go back and look at all the predictions from the Bitcoin people at the beginning of 2019, there were lots of people saying, like, 2019 is going to be the year of Lightning. That definitively did not happen. Um, I, I think over the course of 2020, we'll get Lightning will become usable, um, at least for payments up to, like, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something, maybe even to a few thousand dollars. I don't think Lightning is going to be usable for, like, large asset transfers, but it'll be usable for small things. Um, I don't think that's actually going to matter. I don't think that it's going to imp- impact the market in any meaningful way, at least over the time horizon of 2020. Um, you know, all the like taproot, graphroot stuff, privacy stuff people have been talking about for Bitcoin. Again, that really, Schnorr, all those things, like they were supposed to launch in 2019. They obviously did not. Um, my sense is those are kind of back half 2020, but but like they have low time preference. They don't really care about time. So like those could slip to 2021. Um, it, it's just a very s- slow ecosystem that doesn't evolve. I, I generally don't think Lightning will be meaningfully used in 2020. And I don't think any of the, the – I, I, I think it's pretty – I'd say 25% to f- probability that all of the kind of Schnorr privacy stuff launches on Bitcoin uh, in 2020. Um, they take their time. <laughs> Okay. And yeah, it's, I, it's so interesting because I feel like I talked to one group of sources and they're all super excited about everything going on in Bitcoin. And then I have another group of sources that are like you. Um, and, and I, <laughs> for, for someone in my position, it's just like, okay, what, what, what am I supposed to think here? Um, <laughs> but what do you make of the fact that, you know, we have Square Crypto kind of funding open source Bitcoin development? And yeah, I mean, I think that's like a pretty novel situation to have like a public company that's doing that. It, does that get you excited at all? Or, or do you still feel like, you know, it's still going to be slow? Right. So, so if you look at, you know, like the largest open source projects in the world, things like Linux, things like Wikipedia, things like Chrome, um, like, uh, WebRTC, uh, SSL. I mean, like there's like 
I mean, massive amounts of, of code in the world today are, are open source. And, and basically all of those open source repositories are managed and maintained by publicly traded companies. Um, Google, you know, and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple and those guys like all contribute just incredible amounts of engineering dollars to upgrading those systems. So the, the standard par for course is that big companies like invest in open source protocols. That, that's actually like par for course. So I don't find it surprising that like there's, you know, I don't find it like particularly interesting that Square is doing this. There's like a very obvious potential synergy value for Square, right? And like if Bitcoin becomes a thing, then like Square wants to like be involved and like kind of help shape the direction of the protocol. Um, so the kind of selfish motivation is pretty clear. The amount of resources Square is putting at this is pretty limited still. Uh, but hey, like it's better better than nothing. Uh, I, I generally don't think that it's like terribly interesting that, that Square is doing anything here and just given the like, lack of scale of, of what they're doing. My kind of general frustration with the, the Bitcoin stuff is that it's very hard for me to see how Lightning actually like fulfills its vision in the sense that like today, the, the money that you can complain all you want about Visa or the US dollar or fiat currencies, whatever. But like I can send money from me to, to anywhere and like the dollar, I don't, I'm not like encumbered in the sense that if I send dollars from me to one place, I can't send those dollars from me to another place. Um, and like the whole kind of structure of lightning is that basically all dollars are encumbered or all coins are encumbered where it's like, look, I'm committing coins to this channel. And if I commit coins to this channel, then I cannot commit coins to this other channel. And, and like, it just, it just like, it seems very difficult to me to see a future saying, well, look, the current world is one in which you have infinite flexibility in terms of where you send your money. And like the future world is one in which you don't. I, like, like, I just, I find that to be like fundamentally like not a, a like vision of the world that I find acceptable. Now, the Lightning people are, like, working on all kinds of channel routing solutions and reshuffling things and, like, submarine swaps. And, I mean, there's all these things they're, like, working on to try and mitigate that. And, like, maybe they can figure out ways to do that. But it just seems very stupid to me that, like, we have a system in which dollars are not encumbered to, like, move them around. And, like, we move to a system in which dollars are encumbered. I I just, like, find that to be, like, fundamentally flawed. All right. Well, we will see how that plays out. Um, So any quick predictions you want to make for 2020 before we close out? Uh, I'd, I'd say 2020 is going to be the year where you have lots of small success stories. Um, live peer, are we, um, helium, those types of things. I, there's going to be others. I, I think Tari, like very focused applications that the, the tooling is there, the, the protocols are mature and they can actually be used by real people for real world things. And that will happen. And I'm really excited to see that. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on Unconfirmed. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for having me. To learn more about Kyle and his views on the Web3 stack and how 2020 will play out, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. There's no news recap this week, folks. Sorry about that. Because while crypto never takes a vacation, my sound engineer and I do. But don't worry, the news recap will be back next week, and I'm sure there will be a lot to catch up on. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Corning, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.